Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palate, a podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Join us each week on our journey as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark. I'm Jesse. Cheers. Cheers. All right, and we drink. Oh, actually, that's very good. It's refreshing. It is. It's very, very refreshing. So we are on site at uh, Freedom Spirits Distillery, right? Absolutely. Right? Freeland Spirits. Yes, oh, Freeland. Okay. Yes, Freeland. Named after a Jill Keeler's Meemaw Freeland back in Texas. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Jill actually uh, was very inspired by her grandmother. She spent quite a bit of time in her garden, and I actually got to go visit Mima as well with Jill growing up together. And uh, Mima did not drink, never a drop of booze in her life, but she did deeply inspire Jill that all good things come from scratch. So you have to start from the very beginning with the quality you want to end with. Oh, I like that. Absolutely. I it's like uh, that a one lot. of our tenants at Freeland. Okay. See, I, I love like the little facts and stuff behind the names and everything. That's like really cool. So uh, Mima, right? Mima Freeland. Go Mima. <laughs> You're my favorite. She's painted on our wall in the distillery. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna have to look around. And, we'll do a little tour after. Okay. Excellent. Yes, we'll do that. And we'll include some pictures on, on the social and all that other kind of fun stuff for everyone looking into that. So Jesse, um, you are the director of sales and one of the partners here at uh, Freeland Spirits. So uh, as you know, uh, by now anyway, <laughs> uh, first time we had someone on, we kind of ask them a little bit about your history or relationship with alcohol, kind of, and it can be whatever you kind of want to share. So go. Sure. Yeah. Let's see. My journey, I think, uh, to alcohol as a profession came like many through the hospitality industry. I spent many years working just about every um, role in the front of house position in restaurants. And while I was earning my art history degree in Texas, worked in uh, many steakhouses. So I really formulated a love of wine during that time. And it uh, took me on a journey to learn more and more about beverages. And uh, really to me became a way that I could travel just through a bottle and learning more about different cultures and dug deeper into all of that became a sommelier, um, a beverage director, and then wanted to learn more about the other side of the business, so moved into wine sales. So um, after that, wanted to move out to Oregon really to be a part of a premier uh, world wine growing region. And Oregon just makes such beautiful wines. I was inspired to move here and work for a winery. Um, but then after shortly after moving here and landing sort of what was a dream job, I reconnected with Jill Keeler and she was my childhood best friend. And I hadn't seen her for 20 years because as adults do sort of drifted apart yep. during college and we had lunch here in Portland and she told me about Freeland and it was still in the beginning stages back then. We didn't even have a facility yet and it was still, still just, just a concept, an idea. Kind of a yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was really exciting to sort of connect with her in the beginning and I watched her put together, you know, a beautiful product and was so inspired. I reached out to see how I could become more and more a part of Freeland. And uh, here I am today, one of the partners, director of sales, and I get to work with an incredible woman-led team. And it's just an amazing experience so far. Yeah, well, awesome. And, and well, let's first, woman-led team. I think that's awesome and amazing. I always get excited when I hear that. And and by the way, too, we're sipping on this and we'll talk about what we're drinking, but it is delicious. <laughs> um, so... Uh, you were talking, we were talking about a little bit of that before, if you want to kind of go into that a little bit more, cause I think that's exciting and, and there's not enough of that these days. Sure. Absolutely. It's a piece that we're very proud of. Um, you know, Jill, when she began this idea, she, uh, 
really wanted it to be women leading production and to be a women-led team. She would spend time looking at Whiskey Advocate, flipping through the magazine, and you'd see pictures of socialites with drinks in hand, you know, laughing delicately, but you'd never <laughs> see photos of women in roles of production. Yes. Uh, so she was really inspired to change that and shift that model of because there are a lot of amazing women working in roles of production. So she thought it would be incredible if she could find a woman to lead production, and it's uh inspired her to seek out Molly, who uh, Molly Troop is our master distiller, and she is incredible. She uh, has a bit of an interesting story. She studied chemistry in Southern Oregon. She thought wow. she was going to go into forensics. Um, so she has a very uh, sort of problem-solving mind, but also very chemistry forward mind. Um, so after that, though, she became very interested in uh, distilling and found a program in Scotland. So she went to earn her master's in distilling and brewing at Harriet Watt in Scotland. So That's she's legit. very, it's <laughs> totally legit. She's really traditionally trained and also very technically trained. Um, so she gained all this knowledge um, from these historical distilleries that she got to spend time at and learn. And then she came back here and she worked in different ranks of production in Oregon. And she's been working here uh, for a very large production distillery and then for a smaller, uh, more boutique sized distillery out in Bend. So Jill found her. She likes to say she threw her over her shoulder and drug her back to Portland. <laughs> so um, I think that Molly came a little more willingly than that. Um, but we are so proud to have her in that role. And yes, we are one of a very small percentage. I've heard less than 2% are women owned and operated as distilleries. And it is a piece we're proud of because even just securing the capital uh, is a whole different game for women raising venture capital. I have heard um, that. Less than 3% goes to women starting businesses. So just from the beginning, it's just been different challenges. And we're really proud of that piece. So we like to tell that story. Um, so we just happen to be a women-led team and we make really high quality spirits. And one piece that Jill likes to share that I really love Love is that because we are now having women come into these roles of production that haven't been seen for a long time, we're discovering a whole new palette wheel of flavors because the olfactory senses are just a little different. The hormones um, are just a little different. So we smell and taste a little differently. So it's really exciting to see all these new flavors and these new expressions and spirits uh, to enjoy right now. Yeah, I like that. And I like the, the approach to that. Um, so, and, and we are in Portland, Oregon, um, and you guys are, well, not downtown, you got to find you, but when you find you, it's like a really cool little location. Um, you got the bar, uh, the bottles for sale, of course, you can do tours. Yeah, absolutely. It was really important for us to create a space where we could have an experience with Freeland. And we were the first distillery here in Portland to secure all of the permitting through OLCC, the Liquor Control Board, um, that allowed us to do that. So breweries and wineries have been doing this for years, where guests can come in, enjoy a full-size beverage, have some food, do a tour, and then leave with a product. Um, yeah. And now we're able to do the same. So we have a full operational bar where we can serve full-size cocktails, we have a food program and uh, we also do tours daily and we host a number of classes as well. So we worked with a local design team, Open Studio Collective, and they just did an incredible job designing our tasting room and really highlighting some copper elements to show our still in the back. And this space is just, I'm thankful that I get to spend so much time in it because it turned out incredible and it does it allows us to create this unique experience and it's a beautiful well-lit spot with some touches of nature um, spirits kind of have this dark association with them sometimes so we really wanted to bring a lightness to it and create a place where everyone felt comfortable 
Um, I want my mother to be able to come in and find a drink that she loves and is comfortable drinking. And I want, you know, the most knowledgeable bartender in town to come in and find a drink that they're engaged with and interested in and captures their senses in a way, which is a pretty tall order, you know, to please everyone. But (laughs) we're trying. Who knows if we do that every day? But we work really hard at making sure that everyone that comes in our space has a pleasant experience, learns something while they're there um, and that they leave with something new. Yeah. Well, and it looks great. And that's my first time here and it won't be my last. I can tell you that. So it's a, it's a great looking place. So thank you. Come back anytime. Awesome. So we should, uh, the reason we're here is to talk about Jen. And so if we can just start, and I, I know that this is a very, uh, broad question, but sure. if, what is Jen, right? Cause I mean, you hear about it all the time. I've heard many things about it. Um, it's in your, what, uh, your martinis it's in a lot of stuff but i don't know that a lot of people and and i know myself particularly really know what it is or what goes into it so sure so gin to me is fascinating and there are so many different styles now it's an exciting time uh, to be a gin drinker um but essentially gin is a neutral grain spirit so it's really a blank canvas at the base you're not getting any of those grain flavors from the base spirit it's truly just to be a platform for the botanicals so you start with a neutral grain spirit and then you have juniper and those are really the requirements for gin and there's different um, production techniques that can go into it but if you've got that neutral grain spirit juniper and a blend of botanicals um, that essentially is gin and there are a number of different styles for many, many years. Uh, gin didn't taste that great as they were learning how to distill. And so they would cover that up with sugar. Um, and we saw the rise of gin in the UK whenever a Dutch royalty married into the British family. And they at the time were drinking Geneva in the Netherlands, Belgium, um, and parts of France. And Geneva is really the grandmother of gin, we like to say. And it's a grain forward spirit. So that spirit showcases all those grain flavors with juniper and a variety of botanicals. Um, And there's a whole deep tradition of distilling in those countries where they're really great at those flavors. Uh, But they were new to distilling in in London and they were having a difficult time um, working with those grains. So they shifted the spirit to be a neutral grain spirit and working with those botanicals. So they could still have their gin, although it was sort of a new expression. And that's when we started to see the rise of gin and whenever it first became embraced um, by the public was during that gin time that eventually became the gin craze. But also during that time, there was the advent of better technologies for stills. So the coffee still, it's a column style still, came into play, and they were able to start removing a lot of those unwanted flavors that didn't taste good. And so at that point, once that tasted good, they didn't have to mask it with sugars, and it was a London dry style. So a lot of people associate premium gins with London Dry because it was really the first point in history when gin started to taste good and be a quality product. When you had just like a regular, I mean, that's probably the gin, more of the gin we know today then. A lot of them. A lot of them are. Um, okay. and, and it's an exciting time right now in gin. We have a lot of new styles sort of coming to light, especially here in the U.S. and on the West Coast. We have what they're describing as a contemporary style. And this is a style that works to sort of balance that juniper flavor. We love juniper. We want that to be present. It's a key intricate botanical in gin. But we also want an opportunity for all those other beautiful botanicals to come to the party. So Freeland gin is also classified within this contemporary style gin category because we use such an interesting and different process. Um, I'll kind of dive into production for a little well, bit. Actually, if I'm going like. to pause it for yes, a second first because um, I'm going to take you slightly backwards. Yeah. Um, so... It, it's a neutral 
Grain spirit. Grain spirit. Yes. And you said originally it was a... Grain forward. Grain forward. So, so yes, when you think of difference? windmills in um, you know, the Netherlands and in Amsterdam, they were milling all this grain and in Belgium for beers because it was such an important part of their culture. But you're distilling for those flavors of the grain. So they distill sometimes three. They'll do they'll start with their low wines and they'll do other distillations, but really capturing the flavors of the grain and working with Got different it. mash bills to showcase that grain. Okay. Um, a lot of times with um, gin, it's corn or something that's a little bit more neutral and doesn't is not inherently flavorful in its own right. And that's more neutral. Yeah, and that's where you're just kind of going, like you said, more of that blank slate, pure alcohol yes. kind of a thing. And that would be similar to, if I'm correct, a vodka, something like yes, that, right? Yes, yep, neutral okay. green spirit, absolutely, exactly. And, and that's why I've heard, and there, it sounds like there may be some truth to this, that gin is all, I mean, it's not, but could be, or some people would consider a flavored vodka. vodka. Sure, okay. right, absolutely. Right. And because there are different ways to produce gin, um, you can simply macerate it with botanicals as one production style with that neutral grain spirit, like vodka or Everclear or some things, you know, to that type. Um, or you can distill the botanicals with that neutral drain, grain spirit in a separate distillation as well. And I'm sure you've heard of bathtub gin where they were, that yep. was a maceration where you were just soaking those botanicals in the bathtub with that spirit and then throwing in some sugar to make sure that it was palatable and <laughs> then bottling go. it. Um, okay. So we got the grain and then I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking all the way back to the beginning and I'm yeah. tearing this apart just cause I'm interested. Do it. I love um, history. So juniper. Yes. Now. Juniper, I hear juniper, juniper tree, that's what I kind of think of. And I didn't really, I, I guess I should have associated that with Jen until someone pointed out, then I tasted it, then I could kind of taste it in there. But what of the juniper, how are we getting the juniper in there? And is it the tree or am I? It's, you know, it's a berry and it's it's interesting to, to me. I learned a little bit about juniper recently and just how it's harvested. And it's a pretty painstakingly harvested uh, product. And so it's, it's on a little bush, the juniper berries, and they're in clusters, but they don't all ripen at the same time. So when you're picking, all the pickers, they go through and they have to make sure that the berry is at its peak ripeness or it doesn't taste good through the still. So there's a lot of going back through and combing and making sure it's at just the right level of ripeness um, before it can be utilized for a gen. So it's interesting that it's, you know, it's not like grapes where they all kind of turned very close to the same time and can be harvested at once it's sort of an ongoing process of ripening on yeah. that so and then it's, it's a the labor actual, of love yeah it's, it's the actual berry, berry. see yes, and i was yeah. thinking i don't know i again not knowing anything um pine needles you know mm-hmm. i mean or, or branches or, or twigs i mean that's kind of when i think of juniper and and now now that I think about it, I guess there are berries on there. And so that's what they're harvesting. So that's the juniper. It's a juniper berry. Absolutely. And okay. it's in a dried form whenever mm. it's distilled. It's a, one of the dried botanicals that we use. And that goes back into centuries of use for medicinal properties for digestion and really any kind of ailment. They were using juniper um, and really some ancient cultures you can trace it back to. And that's was initially what the Geneva was in the Netherlands. And then all of a sudden, whenever you look at the history of the shipping trade, once the Dutch had control and there were all these incredible spices coming in through the port that no one had never experienced those flavors. So they had a whole new wheelhouse to work with of flavor. So you start seeing coriander and peppercorn and lemongrass and cardamom all these incredibly flavorful spices and that's how we evolved to gin today is and in juniper is or in geneva as well with a, a variety of botanicals that were coming in through that port and that's exa- and first of all love the history so keep that coming <laughs> um love the fun facts and the history but the other thing is is that explains my next one is the botanicals. so botanicals is really 
I, I, again, to simplify it, spices. Sure. It's okay. roots, herbs, vegetables. It's kind of a whole host of, of plant matter, really, we get we throw into there. So seeds, typically, even some nuts are used in gin. Almond is a pretty a traditional ingredient used in gin. Um, but a lot of dried roots. Um, orris root is one that's commonly used in gin, and that's um, the dried uh, violet. Okay. Iris, not not violet, dried iris root. So it has a very sort of earthy floral tone to it, much more subtle than a a straight flower would. So uh, it throws a very uh, lovely flavor through the still. And it also has some chemical compounds that work with binding. Um, So a lot of the botanicals are used simply for flavor of balance, but some of them, and Molly could nerd out way more on the chemistry of them, are actually used as... uh, an important binding factor for flavors and, and chemicals within the spirit itself. So there's, you know, they worked with different blends of botanicals and some proprietors are fiercely private, you know, about keeping that recipe secret. Yep. We only have one of our 19 ingredients that's secret. Uh, we like to share a lot of it, but yeah, it's interesting. Some people will fiercely protect that uh, blend of botanicals because once you arrive at a really special recipe, you don't want that secret to get out. Yep. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Okay. And so that then, so that's your basic. So now I'm now bringing you back forward again. So to the contempt, the different styles, um, sure. because that gets So you're saying you guys are more of a contemporary style. So now that I know those basics, what makes it contemporary? Sure. So we, um, you know, one of the inspiration, we'll take it back to Mima. Whenever Jill and Molly were initially doing the R&D, the research and development for the recipe, um, they were walking through Forest Park together. And Jill said, you know, how can we capture a freshness? How how can we make it smell like Mima's garden is really what they wanted. Nice. And Molly, being the chemist that she is, was very familiar with uh, some interesting technology that we could experiment with. And so Jill likes to say in a very hushed whisper on their walk in Forest Park, Jill, or Molly said, have you ever heard of the rotovap? Jill's like, what? The what? So uh, Molly was really interested and excited to use uh, a vacuum still, the rotovap, which allows you to collect vapor from a cold state. So essentially oh. um, in the vacuum pressurized system, the boiling point is lowered so you can collect those vapors. So if you were to throw a fresh cucumber into our heated copper pot still, it would obliterate it and you would lose the nuance of those fresh essences. Uh, But with this technology, it actually allows you to capture all of that. So our cucumber, rosemary, mint, and thyme, one secret ingredient, go through (laughs) our uh, vacuum still. And it really lifts the aromatics. It adds an entirely new layer of texture and flavor to the gin um, that really just unfolds on your palate. And it really adds to the texture. Um, So vacuum stills were used in the essential oil industry for a while, in the pharmaceutical industry for many years, and now in the cannabis industry. Uh, So you really get to keep a lot of those essential oils in there. Um, And our gin has a beautiful body and mid palate. It's very round and, and luscious. And a lot of that comes from that distillate that's from the fresh state. Okay, and so now, I'm sorry, just real quick. And so sure. is that, so that's that one you just described there. Is that a particular type that you sell? If I were to walk into so what bottle would I buy? Or is that the base? That's our gin, our flagship gin. Okay. We actually do a dual distillation. So two different distillations uh, go into that bottle and then Molly blends them together. Uh, she calls them little flavor bombs. Mm. So it's a much smaller percentage of the distillate that's from the vacuum still, but it's amazing how much it adds to to 
and changes the entire spirit. So we use 14 dried botanicals through our copper pot still. Um, and then she blends them together at the end. And that's our Freeland gin and that beautiful blue bottle. So that's our, our first product that we released. And we're very proud of it. It is such an incredibly beautiful recipe that Molly developed. Um, I'm so proud to sell it. I'm excited to have it to drink. And it really goes well in this canned gin and rose tonic. Yeah, and, and it sounds delicious, and I'm, I'm going to have to, I, I'll be walking out with a bottle of that. I can t- awesome. promise you that. Awesome. <laughs> um, and, and I really I like that because, I mean, the, like you said, the cucumbers and stuff like that, I mean, you eat them fresh, and that's delicious. Uh, maybe you can, I don't know, blend them into a dressing or something. But like you said, if you try to cook or do anything with those, they're gone. They're they gone. just cook straight on out. So mm-hmm. that... Ro- Robovac? Rotovap. Rotovap. <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay, Rotovap. That's a really cool technology. It's to really fast. Keep those flavors there. I it like is. that. And we know of um, a, another distillery, or there are a couple now that are working with that just straight. Uh, but us blending the two together was a bit of a new uh, product, and it just turned out beautiful. We were really happy with the result. Yeah. And now you did mention we were, uh, so this is the gin and rose tonic. It comes in a can, which is uh, really cool. Um, so th- that's what we're drinking right now. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and because uh, it, so it's a gin and tonic. Uh, you can explain the rose part, but yeah. gin and tonic in a can. Yeah, absolutely. Great format. I mean, we're such an outdoor city here. You know, you can go camping, hiking, take it with you on the river. Really easy, portable format. Um, and this was a really great project in collaboration with a good friend of ours at uh, Portland Syrups. So he really developed this tonic to highlight some of the flavors in our gin. And it's a rose tonic. And it's really subtle and beautiful. And it just brings out some of those beautiful layers in our gin. And we've had it on tap in our our tasting room since we opened last September. It was really one of our flagship drinks. And uh, as this format kind of grew and grew, we were really interested in seeing if we could can this product. And we did. And it's a great little 250 milliliter little can that packs a punch. It's at 10.4% alcohol. So oh, okay. it, it is. It's a great little product. It's delicious. And we're excited to have it um, in a new format to send out into the world. Yeah. And, and they're delicious. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, I, as soon as I took a sip, I'm like, that was good. I, well, so good. I think everybody heard the first sip I took was after we cheers. So, and we love working with his syrups. They're really focused on high flavor and low sugar. And he works with a lot of local companies and ingredients and his company really, um, is similar to ours in, the, in many ways. And it, that's one of the beautiful things about Portland are all these amazing collaborations and amazing producers to work with. It's really wonderful. The community that we have here. Yeah. And, and I've got to back that up. Anybody, that I've talked to or worked with here and we've had other interviews uh, Breakside Brewery and others and yeah. and all of them say oh I got this from there or, or I worked with them on that and I think it's a very collaborative environment and it's it's across alcoholic types I guess yeah, if you yeah. will because beer I mean, wine spirit we all we all work together it's funny I often like to think about the lifeline of a barrel here um, because we do a lot of finishing and wine barrels so we'll get wine barrels in from, from Willamette Valley we'll finish our spirit in them and the second we're dumping the bourbon out we have a brewery dying to get their hands on it to finish a beer in it so these barrels just keep getting passed to producer to producer imparting different flavors but all sort of connected in the same way which is really how Portland is and how the mindset is so it's it's a really exciting community to be a part of. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so I may have taken you uh, off track a little bit here. So um, we talked about the the base of your gin and some of the contemporary styles. Um, is there anything else you kind of wanted to share on on gin itself? What it is, how it's made, what maybe makes it makes gin gin. 
Sure. I mean, we really like gin um, for its qualities that it's it's great on its own. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily think of gin as a sipping spirit, but a really good one should be. And ours is fantastic just with a cube of ice and a little peel of citrus because there there are so many flavors woven together that it's not strange to sit and sip on your gin because it has a lovely texture. It has a lovely flavor. Um, and because of the style of our gin, um, and there is so much flavor, I like to just a simple sip citrus with it, uh, just to add a little bit of acidity and freshness. And it's great in just a gimlet. You can tease out some of those botanicals with syrups, but you don't have to get too fancy with your cocktails. Just uh, a simple, delicious tonic mixed with it, and you have a great drink. So we're really proud of that. It's a whole product, you know, as it is, and it's to be sipped and savored and appreciated or mixed however you like, because I haven't found a cocktail yet that it doesn't go well in so nice yeah and and gin isn't generally known as a sipping or i wouldn't think of it as a sipping alcohol Mm -hmm. but um you're saying that that we should be doing that absolutely if it's a great well-made gin and the texture is nice and the flavor is nice why not Uh, we have a great flight of spirits and we serve our geneva uh which we're not talking about today but it's sort of a style of gin and the traditional tulip glasses that it's served in the netherlands and it's just so fun to sip and savor and it's a beautiful presentation of the spirits so I think we're just really breaking down all those preconceived notions. There are some people that I've spoken with that have had bad experiences with gin in their college years. So (laughs) I have a lot of people that tell me I don't like gin. And I just, I say, well, you know what? Give ours a try, open yourself up to it. And we have a lot of converts because it turns out they just don't like bad gin. (laughs) You know, I found that in so many things. I mean, I grew up uh, drinking what was like Jose Cuervo or something like that. I'm like, I don't like tequila. Tequila's horrible. And I didn't drink it for forever. And then you find somebody who knows what they're talking about and says, hey, no, try this. And I was just like, no, no, try. And I took one. And then all of a sudden, the little light bulb goes off and you're like, that's why people like tequila. And now this is why people like gin. And you finally kind of get it. So I think you're right. If you, whatever your background is, Mm -hmm. um, it's finding, uh, well, we talked about this with wine in the past, find a friend, right? Absolutely. And and they can guide you the right way. Same Mm -hmm. thing with, I think, gins or any kind of alcohol find somebody who knows what they're talking about or go to a place like freelance spirits sure, and because it can be overwhelming if you know you don't know anything about the spirit and there's also many choices and some just may not be right for you so it's good to have a guide a spirit guide <laughs> a spirit guide oh i love that <laughs> That's beautiful. we can be your spirit guide at freelance spirits <laughs> yeah and i was going to say now probably not in the middle of a rush hour or something like that but if you came in on a, on a casual time and and that so maybe plan you know a mellow afternoon or something sure. and you can come in and you can, I'm assuming this would be a perfect place to come in and say, look, I know nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. It is one of the huge pieces for um, our tasting room. I have an amazing crew that works in there and we focus strongly on education and making sure that they have the tools they need to engage with consumers um, answering questions because we have a lot of fascinating, really interesting equipment back in there. And um, I have to make sure that everyone can talk about it. And it's a lot to learn when you come in to work for Freeland. You have to learn about spirits, learn the difference in how they're made. And we have such a great team. And to where they're used to that, we want you to be able to come into Freeland, order a drink, and be able to ask as many questions as you like. So it's really part of our experience there is education. So please bring all your gin questions you've ever had and head on in. And we've got a great staff that can answer a lot of them for you. And if not, they'll they'll reach out to Molly or someone that can get a great answer. Yeah. And you mentioned classes too, which is something... I'm just starting to discover a lot of pl- discovery. There's a good word. I'm just starting to discover <laughs> yeah. um, is that a lot of places now are offering this education. And to me, again, that's why I started the whole podcast because mm-hmm. I know nothing and I wanted to learn. So I'm imagining that's also a great way. Maybe if you know a little, probably 
you should have at least a minor appreciation at that point. Sure, you think, you know, or? all levels. I think okay. we really make try, and that's tricky. Well, certainly with like the master whiskey classes that are three hours with Molly. I mean, if you you can come on in at any level and engage, um, but it may be more information than you thought you signed up for. But it's also <laughs> engaging for all levels and really diving in deep with different um, topics. She did a uh, a blending workshop once recently where we got to taste from different barrel finishes and different strengths and how she chooses which barrels to blend in which was fascinating. She did one master whiskey class. It was just really diving into production deep in the details. And then we've done some fun stuff in the tasting room with cocktail classes. And recently for me, it was really fun to do a botanical beverage class where oh. really got to dive into gin, Geneva and Amaro's and vermouth and talking about those categories, aromatized wine and tasting through those. So yeah, we try to keep some really fun topics in the tasting room and stuff that from all over that people can engage with. And they're usually on Sundays. Um, so yeah, check out the website. We try to have a class of every couple months. Okay. Yeah. And so if you're in the Portland area, stop by. If you're not, when you're in the air, stop by. And if you're not, get here. It sounds like. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's the answer. Okay. And then take it all the way back. You'd mentioned something, which I, I, I really loved this, but you said that, that alcohol in many ways is a way to travel through a bottle. And I had never thought of it that way. So I think that's that's awesome. Sure. I mean, for me, that's what really fascinated me. And I think, you know, being a server on the floor, there's so many bottles that can be overwhelming on a wine list. And it just seems like so much to learn. So what I started to do over time was just, okay, I'm going to choose two bottles a week and, and learn them. And you can choose two bottles and it, from two completely different countries. And in learning about those, I realized, wow, for me to understand this wine, I need to understand what are what's their agricultural system like in this country? What are they growing? What are they eating? Where are they working? I need to understand the landscape. And so it just really opened up... Um, diving in and probably I, I went in a little deep too. I have an art history degree. So I always <laughs> want to understand the context of, of a piece of, of a work of art. Um, so I wanted to learn the same thing with a bottle. I wanted to understand the context of where it was coming from. And even just here in our own country, I mean, what's happening in California growing and their growing regions with wine is very different than here in Oregon. So, you know, it's, it's a way to travel, experience a different climate uh, because they all produce different products. And so that's what it's always been for me. I love traveling. And if I can't buy a plane ticket, I can buy a bottle and learn something new about a different culture. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. And and it's also too, I mean, you can, if it's something you really like, I mean, you can dive deep and go and, down that and, rabbit hole as deep as you want. Yes. And nerd out on that. But even just, I think a lot of this understanding at that high level understanding, Hey, it kind of comes from this area, this region, and that kind of means this. And that may mean, I mean, that may be about as, as, far as you can go. But I think that understanding or that depth helps you understand what you're drinking, what's in your glass and helps you find other things that you might like. Absolutely. And that's, you know, the idea of regional products is something I've been thinking a lot about lately. And really what we do here at Freeland Spirits is uh, focus this resurgence of regional spirits because with uh, prohibition before that we had a lot of regional spirits that uh, the distillers and even just in bars that were distilleries that people was reflecting what they were growing agriculturally so it was an expression of the region but after prohibition it really just the big brands were able to dominate the marketplace of spirits for so long but in the early 2000s we saw this rise of um, micro distilleries craft distilleries that were once again, capturing this regional flavor, these regional spirits, which, so it's a really exciting time. We've seen this industry really develop into what it is today. And there's some really beautiful spirits that are 
expressing terroir, you know, and that's a discussion that people are having in spirits now, just like wine. Um, and I'll circle back to our founder. I don't, I feel like I didn't talk enough about Jill, but she's incredible and she's worked in, uh, nonprofits for many years, but she ran a local farm, Zinger farm here in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. And they're a great, uh, a community education farm where they teach children where good food comes from. So, so much of our project is rooted in agriculture and supporting our local farms. Um, you know, the beginning of Freeland Spirits, I'm just going to take you to the back, her and a good friend, Corey Carmen of Carmen Ranch, who runs a century farm in Eastern Oregon in Wallowa Valley. It's been in her family over a hundred years and she's been leading that ranch as a woman in ranching um, for many years now. And they're great friends. Corey would come to town and her and Jill would drink whiskey together. One night we're talking about where were these grains grown? And it wasn't a conversation that was being had necessarily in spirits at that time. This was many years ago at this point. And Corey was like, well, I'll grow the, grow this grain for you, Jill, if you'll make the whiskey. Uh-oh. And it actually evolved into Freeland today. So Corey is growing that rye out in Wallowa Valley. And that is what we're laying down for our future whiskey is a rye, buckwheat, and malted barley base. So really staying connected to agriculture, um, supporting soil health. And just with the gin, taking it back there, those fresh ingredients allow us to stay connected to a Vibrant Valley Farm is where we purchase those botanicals out in Soviet island and it's great to have um that expression of those flavors from here just outside of portland and to keep that connection with those farms so we really try to focus on highlighting regional flavors and working with um the local industries yeah and and it's funny that you mentioned that because i hadn't thought about that but now that you're talking about the the regionalness if that's a word i'm going with that yeah (laughs) um, i like it (laughs) of distilleries because you used to think, you know, uh, this alcohol can only come from here, right? Or like gin is only from England or, right. or whatever it may or the UK, I guess, mm-hmm. Scotland as well. Sure. Um, you know, things like that, because that's that's where it is. And, and there's something to be said for that, just like there's something to be said for wine from France, of right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, there's some great things happening regionally, just like, you know, just like Napa was discovered. Now you got great wine out of Napa. You can have great gin and uh, you guys do whiskey as well, if I'm correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whiskey as well out of Portland, Oregon. And you mm-hmm. can, so it, it's, and tying it into, if you know where that's coming from and you know, it's coming local like this, I think you can have, find these new appreciations for the same drink. It's just going to have those same subtleties that you're yeah. going to get in again wines and, and even well again if you get to craft breweries and mm-hmm. craft beers again that are sourcing some of those ingredients absolutely i mean we have so many breweries here working with the local grown hops and just our water all of these go into a specific expression from a specific place and just our climate even um taking it back to freeland and the aging of our whiskey all of that is a piece of the terroir because I was visiting a, a distillery down in Austin and she was telling me it's about 135 degrees in their barrel room in the wow. summer. And you just know, you know, and in Kentucky also in their barrel rooms, much different than here. So yeah, much just more the hot climate and, and how that spirit evolves in the barrel is, is impacted. There's so many elements from a, a place that can impact that beverage. So it's really exciting. It is to have these uh, different distilleries that are really trying to capture some of those local expressions and flavors. Yeah. And, and, act, and now you're saying it too. Again, it reminds me of we, we did an episode on whiskey and where the barrel sits in the warehouse yep. can affect how it's going to age. So if that's going to affect how it ages, you can imagine, again, just the different regions. So absolutely. try a whole bunch of different stuff, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely, so exciting. But you got to start with Freelance Spirits. You have to start with our gin. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So um, 
any, I know you've thrown out a, a ton of history or fun facts. Do you have any of like your favorites or anything? I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Um, uh, you know, one thing I, I just, one last thing I want to share that I think is really special about here in Portland, we've been talking a lot about the producers, is that uh, we still have uh, Distillery Row, where we, there are 11 distilleries here where we all meet once a month and Uh-oh. share. And I just think it's really special that we are a part of a community that the industry stay connected like that and support each other. So we're here, we're doing what Freeland's doing, but we're also a part of a bigger picture. And I think that Portland is quickly becoming known internationally for the quality of the spirits that are being produced here. And it's such an exciting time. It's such a wonderful city to be a part of. And I can't wait to see how Freeland grows. And it's so exciting to be a part of all of this. Yeah. And we've got listeners all over. We're international now. That's kind of fun. Um, but I, I was talking to uh, on a previous episode. Actually, we were talking about, and I think there's there's certain places like this, but I think the the Portland area is one of them where it's very unique in that you've got that wine country, you've got the craft breweries. Now you've got all these distilleries in. There's not many places in the world where you can have all of that within such a small geography, and I do think that makes this area very unique. And the collaboration, and and that surprised me. I would. I've thought people are a lot more like said, hiding the secret recipe yeah. of everything, but right. but there's a lot more collaboration than I would have imagined. Sure. I mean, if one gets better, we all get better and we, we work to lift each other up. So, and I think that we really like the wine industry really did that. Uh, the pioneers that came here in the late seventies and eighties, they really worked hard to build this industry and it's been inspirational for us to look to, and they've had such great success. So it's really exciting to have the group of distillers that we do here. Um, to work together it's really great okay and now i'm going to ask you uh and again i'm throwing some of the stuff just at you right now so it's it's fun um what are you uh because you said it's can be sipping and that's Mm -hmm. good and we now know that the canned gin and rose tonics are delicious Mm -hmm. but what would be your favorite kind of mixed drinks and or what would you recommend so somebody's i just like me yeah coming home with a bottle of freelance spirits what am I going to do with it? You know, my favorite thing is just a little bit of fresh lime and a splash of simple uh, to make it as sweet or not sweet as you'd like. But I really like to have it over ice with some fresh citrus and simple syrup. If I want a fancier cocktail, what's really fun for me with our gin is doing like a play on a white Negroni. So mm. doing the same um, ratios, but with our gin and a little Blanc and Sailors, a Genshin liqueur mm. for that bitterness. And it's just so pretty and bright with a nice lemon peel. And you get all those deep bitter flavors but also our fresh botanicals and that's one of my really uh, favorite summertime ways to drink it in a more spirit forward cocktail but that in a fresh gimlet I mean you just can't go wrong nice I like it I like it um, and so now I'm also going to ask you and then we're going to talk a little bit about where they can find freelance spirits and we'll kind of wrap up but first um Somebody who now I have actually I'm still on the very new side to gin. That's why I was very excited to do this because gin is still very new to me um, and like you said I never considered myself much of a, a fan of gin. Um, I didn't really like it. And actually, one of the things that kind of helped me is uh, I did this recently with a friend, and we were eating. Um, it was a summer sausage, and uh, and and there were and they recommended gin with it because it brought out some of the same. They had the similar flavors, and I'm like, oh, not a really gin, but okay. Mm-hmm. If you say, because I've gotten much more open minded now, you got to try this stuff, right? Yeah. And so I had it by the, and then I had the sip of the gin, and again, partly it was a good gin, mm-hmm. so that helped, but. It, it really brought out the flavors and, and blew my mind. But that's a little digression there. But for somebody, again, early to gin, yeah. what would your kind of thoughts or advice be on, on how, how do I get into the world of, of gin? So I, I actually love that you brought up an example of food because I think that 
people have a cocktail to begin and then they have their wine with dinner and then they close with, you know, a nice nightcap. But I think that spirits carrying it through the meal and playing with those food pairings are so much fun. And really diving into those botanicals, uh, we had a cheese tasting and pairing at Freeland recently Mm. and she found a beautiful cheese uh, from a local creamery that had some juniper berries in it and it was so fun pairing that. Uh, But when you do think about spirits with food, we all have margaritas with food and they're delicious (laughs) and that's because of the acid that's in it, that freshness. You need that nice pop of acid to cut through the richness of food. So when I'm playing with cocktails with food, I always want to make sure I have the right balance of acid if it's with a main course or something that has a lot of fat. Uh, But I think that gin really can carry you through the meal whenever you're thinking of the cocktails and pairing it with the dishes that way. And, you know, food is amazing on its own and drinks are incredible. But when you find those magical moments where the two um, just weave together, it can lift the experience into something magical. So that's been really fun for us to play with and opening people up to the idea of cocktails and spirits throughout your meal. And we do really fun uh, expressions of gin and tonics in the tasting room. We do the large Copa balloon style glasses with sort of Spanish style gin and tonics where we have rotating fresh garnishes and we have a tonic selection. So I think gin is so versatile. There are so many different ways that you can enjoy it. Most people can find one. Um, if it's not the gin and tonics and the freshness, then we always have some some gin and just fresh juice uh, that's delightful or those straightforward boozy cocktails too. Like the Negronis are fantastic. So I think just opening up your mind as a drinker with gin and being open to those new flavors and finding the right gin that you like. Um, you know, juniper can be very piney. It can kind of smell like you're in the middle of a forest and a Christmas tree, but it, which is lovely. Uh, mm-hmm. But maybe you want something a little softer that's really worked to mitigate that a little bit. So there are so many different styles now and ways to enjoy it that you just can't get bored with gin. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, so, uh, oh, before I, I'm going to ask you one last question. I lied to you. Um, I'm walking out of here with a bottle of the blue stuff, the blue bottle, because that's the basic. What else would you recommend? Well, actually, I'm sorry. I'm also walking out with uh, these little cans of the the gin and rose. What else should I, would you recommend? um, Yeah, well, I have to talk about our Geneva for just a minute. So since we are talking about gin, this is our expression of Geneva. Um, Geneva, as a title, is a protected category, as it should be in Belgium and the Netherlands. So ours is Geneva is the title, but it is a Geneva style gin um, and it's much different than our gin in that it's grain forward so that's what's different than the blue bottle and it's in a beautiful pink bottle but this is actually our future rye whiskey base which is very exciting Uh so this blend of rye buckwheat and a malted barley it's all Oregon grown organic grain that's milled at canvas country mill so this is a little bit of a window to our future whiskey which is exciting and we only use seven botanicals Um, none of the rotovap it's all done through the heat distillation and Juniper, of course, is in there. And we also showcase hazelnuts, one of the beautiful Mm -hmm. products from here in Willamette Valley. And it adds to this beautiful texture. And it's much different than our gin. With this Geneva, you want to mix it like a whiskey. You're not going to just throw it with a tonic and expect it to mix like a gin because it does have those grain-forward qualities. But if you sub it into your whiskey cocktails instead of whiskey, it's fantastic and adds this beautiful layer of subtle botanicals. So I would say grab yourself a bottle of Geneva too because it's a lot of fun. Sold. <laughs> Sold. And and the and one last comment here is the bottles are just gorgeous, by the way. They're kind of like in a... 
make me think of an apothecary or something yeah. like that. They're mm-hmm. these real beautiful bottles with the little stopper on there. So again, we'll have some pictures on social media, but I'm assuming there's, they can go to your, when let's talk about that, go to your website and, or yeah. if, I mean, obviously if you're in Portland, yeah. come here. Yes. Uh, come to Freeland. If not, how can they find you or learn sure. more? Sure. So we are uh, distributed in California and in Washington, and we have some great online retailers uh, as well that we work with in California. So visit our website. And if you can't pick up a bottle with us at Freeland, we're happy to direct you to the nearest place. Okay. And the website is? freelandspirits.com. That was easy. <laughs> okay. I like it. So um, kind of for a summary of everything we've talked about today, if you got ideas for future topics, questions, feedback, uh, definitely reach out to us at www.theunsophisticatedpalette.com. Uh, definitely uh, tell your friends, subscribe, all the other good stuff to the podcast. That's good. Uh, and we're going to do a quick cheers here. So and until next time, drink responsibly. Cheers. Cheers.